Our text this morning is found back in the 20th chapter of the Gospel according to St. John as we transition from the Easter season into the season I like to call the season of service, which is where we dwell now. Because we're all in service to the Lord until such time as he returns. We're going back to the 20th chapter of John and for our message text today, we're going to look at the last two verses of that chapter, verses 30 and 31. And what you find written in the 20th chapter of John, beginning with verse 30, reads in this way. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. Amen. As we speak this morning to the subject, it's your move. Amen. It's your move. Growing up, I had a friend that lived down the street, older gentleman. He taught me how to play chess. And I never played chess before. I was always a checker person. I love checkers. Like, I got you here. I can jump you here. I can jump you here. I can boom, boom, boom. But we're good. We can do that. But he's like, checkers is one thing, but chess is totally different. Checkers is something to give you a snapshot of a situation, but chess is designed to give you an overview of life. And I'm like, okay, I was like 13, 14 years old. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, dude. I don't get it. He's like, let me show you. And the, the, the impetus of what he showed me prompted me to write a piece that I'm referencing in this message. He said, take, for instance, this pawn right here. And he took the pawn that was all the way over on the far end of the board. He's like, move your pawn two spots because the first step you make, you can move two. I said, okay, fine. So he, he made a move. He said, now move that pawn another, another spot. I made it, moved another spot. And he made another move. And he was, as he was making all these moves, he was taking out all my major pieces I found out later on the board. He's taking out, he took out my knights. He took out my bishops. He <coughs> took out my, my rooks. He, took, he was taking stuff out just left and right. He was wiping pawns out in the process too. He's, but each time, it like, and we, I'd be making other moves. He's like, now move here, now move there, now move here. I'm like, okay, fine. But it seemed like every move I was making, he was taking a piece from me. But every so often, he'd tell me to go back to that one little pawn in the corner. He's like, now make another move. Move him one more step. I'm like, okay, fine. I move it, but I'm still getting everything wiped out. And I'm down to, like, maybe this little pawn in the corner, my king, and one other piece. And I'm like, okay, I don't know that much about chess, but I know if you got all your pieces left and I only got three, I think I'm in trouble. He's like, yeah, but I'm getting ready to show you something. I said, okay. He's like, take your pawn over there in the corner and move it one more step. I did. I moved it one more step. And when I moved it the last step, I got all the way across the board with the pawn. I'm like, okay, fine. The pawn is over there, so what's the big deal? He's like, that's a big deal. I'm like, why is it a big deal? He's like, because when your pawn makes it all the way across the board, undisturbed because it can only go in a straight line, it can't defend itself, that allows you to bring one piece back from it being dead to use to help save yourself. I'm like, oh, really? He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, so the piece you want to bring back is the piece that has the greatest power on the board because it doesn't matter how many pieces you have left on the board. What matters is the power that you have to do what needs to be done. He says, so the piece that you want to bring back is your queen. 
I said, why? He's like, because the queen can go anywhere she desires to go. The queen has the ultimate authority because while the king is the ultimate ruler, the queen has the power to oversee and make the rule of the king effective. So I brought, he brought my queen back. He's like, now take the queen and move here. Take the queen and move there. Take the queen and move here. And before I knew it, I was wiping out his side of the board even quicker than he was wiping out my side of the board. And I ultimately wound up winning that game. He's like, but what you have to remember is not about what's going on at that particular point in time. But what you have to realize is that no matter what takes place, when you're not moving, after they make a move, it's your move. And as long as you have the power that's necessary to win the game, it's not about the number of pieces that you have. It's about understanding the purpose for the pieces that you have. And the purpose for the pieces that you have is to exercise the power necessary to write something that's wrong. If you look at the beginning of this particular gospel, John said at the very beginning that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the same was in the beginning as it was with God. He was giving a long form version of what the purpose of this gospel was the purpose of this gospel the purpose of this exercise was to help us understand that like with the chessboard it seemed as though the pharisees and sadducees had taken everything away that they could take away from god's people to get the job done but what they failed to realize is that three days later the pawn that was jesus christ rose again with all power and all authority in his hands which means now no matter what takes place in our lives when it's our move, we have the capacity to do, as the Bible says, exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or even think according to the power that's at work in us. The greater one that lives on the inside, the Holy Spirit, that's, that was the same driving force that drove Jesus. Our text today is designed to help us understand the purpose of our work in the earth. We all have moves to make. We all have jobs to do. We all, as the hymn writer wrote, have charges to keep and a God to glorify. What we've got to understand is the purpose behind what we do. Sure, we can get up and do these things. Sure, I know how I know the words of prayer. Yes, I know how to study the word to show myself approved. Yes, I know how to exegete the word and deliver a message. But the question is why? What's the purpose for doing these things? If we're going through the motions and don't understand why we're doing what we're doing, we're just doing. Amen. God doesn't want us just doing. He doesn't want us just uh, surviving, but he wants us thriving. He wants us to be productive. And we've got to understand a few things to be all that we, he's called us to be. We've got to understand a few things so that when we hear from heaven, it's your move. We understand the purpose for why we're moving. The first thing we've got to understand is that our work is great. Amen. We got to understand that our work is great. What we're doing is not something that's insignificant. What he's called us to do is not something that's an oh, by the way. It's not something that's a postscript. What we're here to do is the main course. It's the main reason why we're here. We've got to understand that our reason for being on this earth is to bring about change and to bring about disciples and to win souls for the kingdom. And we're equipped to do so via the Holy Spirit, via the driving force that drove Jesus Christ to do what he did here in the earth. If you look a little further, as, he, as this is a foreshadowing of what takes place in the book of Acts, if you look a little further in the book of Acts, the question was asked of Jesus before he left. Now are you going to restore the kingdom? Is now the time that the armies are coming? 
Lord is now the time that things are going to be set right. And Jesus said, as I paraphrase, that, that it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. In other words, don't you worry about when the kingdom is going to be reset and things are going to be put in order. But all I need you to do is be mindful of this, that once the Holy Spirit comes upon you, once you're equipped and empowered to do these things, you're going to know now what your purpose is. Your work is great. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You're going to be my witnesses in Judea. You're going to be my witnesses in Samaria. You're going to be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. We've got worldwide work that we're in the midst of doing. We have work that reaches the span, the, the span of the globe. We have work that may emanate from here, but we have the capacity through our witness and through our fellowship to bring about change around the world with our witness. But we can only do that if we're willing to open our mouths and do the work. Have you ever seen something that happened and, and you know what happened in the situation? And the people that were affected by the situation are searching for answers. They're, they're searching for answers and they don't have any answers. You have the answers, but you never tell them. You've seen the frustration in their eyes. You hear the frustration in their voices. How can something like this happen? You know how it happens, but you never tell them. Letting them know can make all the difference in the world of the truth being known and a lie being perpetuated. That can change the course of history. One act of obedience or one act of disobedience can change the course of history. But we serve a God that's able to bring about those changes and work around those changes to still get his will done. Yes, people don't realize. People don't realize that the work that we do is great. That even though we might make mistakes sometimes, God can still take those mistakes and do great things. I'm not saying that we've got to get it 100% right, nor am I saying we've got license to go out and do whatever the heck we want to do. What I am saying is that we've got to understand that the work that's put before us is great. It's great in magnitude. It's great in meaning. It's great in understanding. And even when we miss it, if we're still willing to acknowledge who God is in the midst of our mistakes, he can and will come back around and his will shall be done through us. We've got to realize that no matter how bad the warfare looks, no matter how bad the situation looks, as long as we're like that little pawn on the end of the board and we just keep moving, just keep allowing our steps to be ordered. By the Lord. Lord, this makes no sense to me. I don't understand. It seems like the more I move forward, the more I'm losing. And we might be. But God is stripping away things that we don't need. We may think we need them, but we don't need them. So the word tells us that his ways are far above our ways and his thoughts far above our thoughts. His comprehension and level of understanding, we won't even get it. I was watching TV this morning and they were talking about one of the uh, pitches on one of the baseball teams this morning, how he's pitching at a whole other level right now. Nobody can even touch his stuff. And I'm thinking, well, if man looks at his pitching as a whole other level, how in the world if they took a real good look at God's mindset, how much more of another level would they realize that God is operating on for us? We got to understand that in all that we do, we have to make the moves that God gives us to make, not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify him. Because when you're doing a work that's great, there are going to be some battles that we may lose. When you're doing a great work, 
A great work means a fundamental shift in something that's going to help and that's going to help the multitude of people. That means that you're going to be despised by some folks. Amen. Some people are not going to like what you're doing because now you're upsetting somebody's apple cart. Amen. Now you're messing with somebody's status quo. Now you're taking money out of somebody's pocket. Now you're taking clout away from somebody. Now you're taking influence that shouldn't be there to begin with away from them and putting it where it belongs. Now you're upsetting folks in plain English. That's what Jesus was doing. But if you notice, he understood the magnitude of his work because he said, I did not come to bring, to bring peace, but I came instead to bring a sword. And I didn't bring the sword with the intent of killing anybody. I brought the sword with the intent of dividing the stuff that is of God from the stuff that's not of God. We have access to that same sword. That's why our work is so great. Because when we start separating things, as the word says, we're to be able to separate things. When we start making things right and setting things in order and crying loud and sparing not, we begin to step on people's toes and they start saying, ouch. Amen. And you get the wrong people in the natural right. to say, ouch. Amen. They can do you damage. Amen. But the word tells us that no weapon formed against us yes. shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against us in judgment, he shall condemn. Yes. Now, please note, I did not say that the weapons would not be formed because they're going to be. Nor did I say that the tongues wouldn't rise against us in judgment because they're going to. So we have to be strong enough and thick skinned enough and willed enough and in tune with our God enough to know that no matter what comes our way, the work that we do is so great that we've got to keep going. Yes. We've got to keep pressing on. We've got to keep doing what it is we've been called to do. Amen. So in times like this, we've got to realize it's your move. The world has responded this way. How are you going to respond? The world has done this. What are you going to do? Because you walk by a different authority. You walk to different marching orders. The work that you have is so great that man can't even understand it. So don't even worry about what their response is. Because when we get to that point, we get to the second way that we understand the purpose of our work in the earth. We understand not only that our work is great, but secondly, we understand that our work is glorious. Amen. We understand that it's glorious. It's, it's designed to reflect our Savior. Amen. The word glory is simply a word that means reflect. So when we talk about the glory of God, the glory of God resting here, the glory of God resting there, the glory of God resting on us, the glory of God resting on this place. That means that there's a grace there, that there's an anointing there, that there's a reflective spirit there so that people see God's glory in that place. Yes. Our lives should be such so that our lives should be a reflection of God's glory. Yes. Each and every day, the moves that we make should be moves not to give ourselves glory, but to give God glory. Jesus said in the word to the disciples, the works that you see me do, you're going to do. Catch this and greater works than these shall you do. What does that mean? That means that what I'm doing is designed to be a reflection of my father. You're going to do the same thing. And if each of you do the same thing, that means it's just going to be 12 times the reflection of my father that I'm giving in the earth that you're giving because there are more of you than there are of me in this form. In this human form, we can be in only one place. But if each and every one of us make our minds up to be clear and accurate reflections of God in our living, can you imagine the magnitude and degree of light that we're releasing in the earth to, to light places that are dark, that people will see the truth of Amen. who God is and his love 
through our living and say, you know what? Yes. You're telling me this, but I'm seeing that. Yes. That's what's going on right now in the world today. Far too many of us that have said yes to Jesus are living our lives in darkness, and people are saying that to us. But you're telling me that I'm supposed to love the Lord, but you're hating on our brother. You're telling me that I'm to walk in integrity, yet I'm seeing you step out of this place at this time with this individual. Amen. You're telling me that our lives should be lives of light, yet I see darkness all around your life. Amen. So I remember when I was growing up, my parents would tell me, do as I say and not as I do. But my instinct would say, well, I'm going to do as I see you doing and not what you're saying because you're my example. My mind's not mature enough yet to comprehend the difference between what you're doing and what you're saying and to disconnect the two and to follow what's right. I'm going by the example that I see because I'm a child. Amen. And as a child, when I was a child, the word says it. I thought like a child and I spoke like a child and I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put the childish things away. I began Amen. to realize that there's a difference between right and wrong. And my life is a reflection of the greater one that lives on the inside. Yes. So no matter how much my instinct says do this, yes. I've got to do that because it's the right thing Amen. to do. But here's the challenge with that. Our parents are there to nurture us and rear us to grow us to the point of adulthood. As believers, oftentimes we only get one opportunity to make an impact in somebody's life. And if the impact that we make is we're saying one thing and we're doing another and our lives are not lives that are being lived in a glorious fashion, we're not making the moves that God is telling us to make where we have no choice but to be obliterated. And in the process, we can ruin somebody else's life. Many times we only get one opportunity to make an impact on somebody's life. The Bible says that one man plants, another man waters, but God provides the increase. And please don't think that there aren't times that God has to come back and pull up some crabgrass and some weeds that we planted inadvertently by by how we're reflecting or not reflecting our Savior. We've got to realize that every opportunity that we have to make a difference in somebody's life, every opportunity that we have to bring about change in someone's life, every opportunity that we have to sow seed into someone's life with our living, with our witness, we've got to be mindful of what we're sowing because we don't want to put bad seed out there. My dad, when we were little, used to grow gardens all the time. And he was very good at it. And he'd grow corn and he'd grow tomatoes, he'd grow greens and the one thing that daddy couldn't stand you know every now and then daddy used to go buy like his seeds every year from like the store you can buy like the bags of seeds or whatever and every now and then the, the people that were selling the seeds and make the mistake of putting like a seed of something else in with the rest of his stuff so when you plant a seed it's not like you can tell the difference in the seeds when you're throwing them down he's throwing them down so one time you know my dad had like some some collard greens growing and right in the middle of the collard greens, there was like a bunch of mustard greens in the middle of the collard greens. My dad's like, wait a minute. Where does a bunch of mustard seeds come from? Where does a bunch of mustard greens come from in the middle of these collard greens? It had to be because there was a bad seed sown there in relation to everything else. It doesn't mean that that in and of itself was bad. It just meant that it was out of season, catch this, and didn't belong with the rest of it. Many times we sow seed that doesn't belong with the rest of the seed that's sown. But the problem is, unlike the greens, we can still eat them because it was, I mean, greens are greens. But you can't allow the sin 
to be grown in the midst of the good works that you're trying to sow. Can it happen? Of course it can happen. That's why the word refers to it. In the final analysis, the wheat and the tares are going to be separated. But you don't want to be the one planting the tares in the midst of the wheat because you're taking up space where good wheat could grow. We've got to be mindful that our reflection has to be clear and accurate to the best of our ability at all times of the God of which, whom which we serve. If we can sing songs like, what a friend we have in Jesus. I know my best friend doesn't tell me what I want to hear. My best friend tells me the truth. Because my best friend knows that the truth and knowing the truth is what sets you free. Because that's what the word says. We've been best friends 35 years. Have we bumped heads? Absolutely. Have we disagreed on things? You better believe it. Have we gone through stretches where we've not talked? Sure we have. But the thing that's beautiful about it is that when you have a best friend that truly reflects the best interests of you in what they do, no matter how long you two are apart, when you come back together, it's like you haven't missed a beat. That's the kind of relationship that God desires with us. That's the kind of friendship he desires to establish with us because when he establishes that kind of friendship with us, we'll be a reflection of that kind of, reflect, of that kind of friendship to other people. That's how God desires us to live. That's how the power to overcome any and everything is transferred from individual to individual. So it's our move. When we meet somebody that seems to be friendless and unfriendly it's our move how are we going to respond to that individual are we going to respond the way the world says to respond oh don't be bothered with them they got issues or we're going to respond like jesus responds have a seat and, and and fellowship with them get to know them because oftentimes when you get to know hurting people or you rather get to know people that hurt people you find that they're hurting people because it's been proven psychologically that hurting people Hurt people. If you can identify the pain, you can fix the person. And oftentimes the pain that's identified as a pain that we in and of ourselves cannot fix. But we know the one that can fix it. Yes. And our job is to be a clear and accurate reflection yes. of the one that can fix it. Yes. So that we can tell people about the one that can fix it. Yes. So they can then say, Lord, come in and fix it. Amen. That's our job. Amen. Our job is not to fix it. Our job is to let people know that we know someone that can fix it. Last point that we want to make here, and then, then we're done. Not only is our work great, and not only is our work glorious, but most importantly, our work is guaranteed. Amen. Amen. Whenever I get work done at the house, or my sister gets work done in the house, we're looking for people that, 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 that are willing to guarantee their work. Why? Because... We're human. We make mistakes. And we want something standing behind what's done as humans saying, you know what? Even if this does get messed up, it will get fixed and you won't have to pay for it. God gave the ironclad guarantee six hours one Friday when Jesus suffered and bled and died. He gave the guarantee that the success of our work will take place and manifest. It's assured because it's blood bought. At every point in time where the enemy would seek to challenge our authority, seek to challenge our relativity, seek to challenge our validity in doing what we do, all we've got to do is point back to the blood. Because the blood that was shed 
overrides and cancels the curse. At every point in our lives where the enemy would seek to bring curses, Jesus shed blood and broke the back of the curse. People say, well, preacher, I, I don't know about that because you know what? I, I, I'm just under so much stress that there's no way I could be an accurate reflection because I, I've just been burdened with stress. And yes, the enemy tried to put stress on us. But if you look back in the garden, it says that Jesus in his prayer going to Calvary prayed to the point that his sweat became what? Great drops of blood. And when that blood was shed, that curse was broken. Well, preacher, I understand what you're saying, but you know, I got this ailment. I, I got, I got this ailment. I got this disease. I got that disease. I got the other disease. Well, it says that when Jesus went to the whipping post and was whipped to the point of his organs being exposed, Amen. with each time the cannonine tails dug into his skin and was ripped away, piece of his flesh came off, and along with that flesh came, guess what, blood. And when the blood was shed via those thirty-nine stripes. Infirmity was healed. Science has concluded that every disease known to mankind, if traced back to its origin, comes from 39 root causes. If I remember correctly, Jesus, the Bible says, was beaten with 40 stripes less one. Last time I checked, 40 minus one is 39, which means he comprehensively and unilaterally Broke the curse of infirmity. Preacher, I'd love to do it, but I just don't have the resources. I don't have the money to do it. I, I can't do it. In Genesis, the curse was proclaimed that by the sweat of your brow, you'll labor to eke out a living. But when Jesus, after he had been beaten, and after he had, he, after he had broken the curse of um, after he had broken the curse of infirmity, and after he had broken the curse of anxiety. Now dealt with poverty. The Bible goes on to let us know that, that, that a crown of thorns were braided, three inch long thorns, and they were put on his head. Amen. And to add insult to injury, they jammed it down so it got right to his brow line. And from the skin being torn from those thorns digging down his brow line, guess what came across his brow? Blood. And when the blood came, that curse was broken. So what am I saying? I'm saying there's really no excuse no matter what it is that we do, no matter how the enemy would try to invalidate what it is that we're trying to do. Well, who are you to say this because you're barely making it by here? Who are you to say that because you dealt with this, that, and the other? Who are you to say the other because of us and so? Jesus has already given us an ironclad guarantee that's written in his blood that no matter what the enemy would try to bring to stop us from doing what it is that God has called us to do, as long as we're doing the work and will of the Father, we have a guarantee that success is ours. Amen. Doesn't matter what's going on on the rest of the board. Doesn't matter how this is getting taken out and that's getting taken out. Doesn't matter how my children are getting attacked or my mate is getting attacked. Doesn't matter how, how, how much pain I have in my body or how my mind is being tormented. As long as I know that I know that Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so and I'm doing the work of the Father. As long as I know that God loved the world so much that he sent his son to die for me that I might have the right yes. to call him father. Yes. As long as I know that greater is he that is in me yes. than he that is in the world. Yes. I can keep on moving. Yes. Because no matter how bad it looks, just like no matter how bad it looked on that chessboard, yes. I've still got yes. an opportunity to win. Yes. Because I've still got the power of the greater one working on the inside. Oh, 
And as long as he's ordering my steps and as long as he's directing my path, I don't have to understand what's going on. All I've got to understand is his power for me is greater than the world's power against me. So all I've got to do is be diligent at being a clear, accurate reflection of God before men. All I've got to do is be willing to, 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 and to know and realize that the work that I'm doing is great. And all I've got to do is stand by what I do with the same guarantee that was given to me from eternity that was stated in writing back in Matthew before Jesus left he said go into all the world and make disciples baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey all of my commandments that I've given to you this day and here's the guarantee and lo I will be with you always even until the end of the age that's a lifetime guarantee We don't have to worry about whether or not Jesus is going to be there. We don't have to worry about whether or not he's got my back. We don't have to worry about whether or not he's going to answer my prayer. He just said, I will be with you always. Not only always in time, but in all of your ways. Because the Bible says to trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding, but in all of your ways or always acknowledge him. And he'll direct your path, does it not? Which means that he's giving you the guarantee. If you do that, I guarantee that I'll be with you yes. always. always. If you acknowledge me in all of your ways, I'll be with you in all the ways you acknowledge me. If you acknowledge me in your words, I'll be with you in your speech. If you acknowledge me in your actions, I'll be with you in your actions. If you acknowledge me in your thoughts, I'll be with you in your thoughts. I'll guide you and I'll direct you. You may go to war with me, but the war that you're going to is with me, but it's not because of me wanting to do right and, and, and you wanting to do right. It's because you want to do one thing and I'm trying to tell you the right way to go. Yes. You just got to trust that I'm going to be with you. So when you're put in that situation where a man will say, don't open your mouth, don't say that, don't do it. You boldly proclaim yes. what thus saith the Lord. Oh, knowing that he has guaranteed that your end will be greater than your beginning. And even if by chance your end comes as a result of what's shared, we can take comfort in knowing that just as Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, which is much better than being here, worshiping him. We can be in his presence, worshiping him face to face. So it's a win-win no matter what. So as we go through the chessboards of our own lives and as we look at the moves that we make day in day out please be mindful as I learned that day of the life lessons that a simple game can give you because one thing I found as I got deeper into chess is that there are people that literally play for years at a time they do there are people that start a game and between the time they ponder between moves, they'll go away, they'll do different things in life, they'll come back together. There are guys, there are people, I read about this, these guys in New York that literally had a game going for like three years. They got together once a week, they played, physically played for about an hour, they left, the, they left off right where they left off, they came back the next week, pick up where they left off, it took them three years to finish one game. Chess is designed to be a lifelong process. God desires us to allow him to order our steps. 
because he's the master chessman. And no matter what takes place, no matter how the enemy may think, I got you. You and I are those pawns that are moving down the edge of the board that seemingly nobody cares about. But once we make it across and we make Jesus our Lord and Savior, now we are endued with the power to make a difference. If you've not checked in and claimed your reward yet, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, might I say to you, the subject of this message, it's your move. Jesus is standing and he's waiting and he desires you to be all that he's called you to be. The question is, are you ready to take that step? Amen.